turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. Sure, we are to be as innocent as doves, but also wise as serpents. What does that mean? Well, let's talk about that next on Truth For Today with Pastor Phil. You know, I think for most of us as believers in Christ, being innocent as doves is something we strive for because it's out of our nature. But yet to be shrewd as a serpent, well, that is in our nature, and it, it's a conundrum, isn't it? We want to be like Christ, but that shrewdness can carry with it some baggage we don't often like. Yet here in Luke, as we continue our series on the parables of Luke, we have a parable of the shrewd use of money. Luke 16, verses 1 through 13. We catch up with Pastor Phil Howard right there as we take a look at the shrewd use of money. When you look at uh, Matthew, our brother Luke 16, some scholars believe that 15 through 16 are one length because he starts out talking to the Pharisees in chapter 15. In chapter 16, he begins out, Jesus told his disciples. So he focuses in on them. But while he's talking to the disciples, uh, the Pharisees are listening in. And you'll see that in verse uh, 14. The Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus, lifting their nose in contempt. So they're in the audience still, but he's directing this section right to his disciples. And then he'll go in the rest of the chapter and speak of the rich man in hell and Lazarus. And Pastor Rollins will pick that up next week. And the idea is Jesus is showing off to the Pharisees. Number one, we have a gracious, kind God that throws parties when things that are lost are found. He's a benevolent, generous, kind father, as we see, who runs to welcome back the returning In chapter 16, picks up the theme, Our God is not in love with money, neither should his disciples. And Christ is going to pick up this theme. It's very interesting to me. No one talks more about money in Scripture than Christ, and no one talks about hell more than Christ. The leading authority on the subject of both. Not some crooked preacher, Not some uh, wild hysterical fanatic that wants to invent uh, a place of Dante's hell. No, the meek, lowly, kind, compassionate Jesus gives us the most insight. So we come to see a story, and he tells the story to us in the first eight verses, which is really the parable. And then he makes application And we want to try to do the same. Let us read the text. Jesus told his disciples, There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. 
So he called him in and asked him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management, because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, What shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? And these are no ordinary debtors. It's a huge amount. 800 gallons of olive oil, he replied. It's estimated it takes 150 olive trees to raise this much, produce this much oil. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 400, 50% discount on the bill. A thousand, and then he called the second, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800, 20% discount. The master, that is, the man who owned the property, commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, unrighteous mammon is the way it's really translated, who will trust you with the true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other. Or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of men. But God knows your hearts. What is highly valued among men is detestable in God's sight. The story goes this way. A man is accused of false dealings. It comes to the ears of the owner. This servant was not a slave. He was a paid estate manager. The very fact that he's dismissed shows that he was not owned. And so he had a sophisticated job of managing a large estate for this owner. And uh, when he's accused and it comes to the ears of the uh, owner, uh, he immediately dismisses him. He puts up no argument. His silence shouts, I'm guilty as charged. I have no protest. I've got it coming. So he's just not under false pretense or accusation. I'm guilty as charged. But he had a little time to hand over the affairs in this story. Many times they turned over the books immediately, but he had a little window of opportunity. 
He thought, I must act quickly before the village finds out I've been fired. For when they know I've been fired for dishonesty, I can't get a job here. But nobody knows I've been fired. The renters don't know it. And the renters were primarily people who used the property to raise their crops and then paid a rather exorbitant portion of it to the owner. And so the, and these, some of these men have run up debts that go into the years. Uh, so they really had been trusted by the owner. And so while he's got the time available, he calls in the first man that's raising the olive trees. He said, hey, I'm just thinking about you and uh, uh, I'm not going to be working too long. I wanted to be kind to you. I can imagine. I've had you on my heart. I want to do a favor to you. What's that? Cut your bill by 50%. Wow. Man, what came over you? Ah, it's Christmas time. You know, you need a bonus. All this benevolence. Now, his motive, we know. His motive is, I've had it. I'm going to need some friends next week when I go looking for a job. And I'm going to make friends by the way I discount their bill. I'm going to use money to my advantage in the securing of my future. Plain and simple. Then calls in the second man. Raising large wheat harvests. Owed a debt equal to eight years worth of wages. He says, let's discount your bill by 20%. And you can imagine the elation as these men went back to the village and said, I've never seen such a gracious manager in my life. Honey, we've got to have him over for dinner. This is the kind of people we need working in this village. This is my kind of man. Now, it's kind of interesting if you follow the story. Why, sure, he could discount the bill. It wasn't his property. It wasn't his money. And this is where scholars have a lot of fun with it. I found three primary views of it. Uh, Maybe he just had arbitrary authority. And uh, he could undercut either his own financial profit or that of the owner. That's one scenario. The only thing about it, the owner never does slap his hand or say that's his dishonesty. He had been dishonest before. He wasn't dishonest in this dealing. He's not charged by the owner. He was said to be shrewd. Verse 8, that's the key to this. Shrewd use of resources. And uh, I just want to look up shrewd to make sure. It means marked by keen awareness, sharp intelligence, clever. Now, we use it uh, because it's used negatively uh, in the term of... uh, cunning, trickery, but its primary usage was sharp thinking, on it, perceptive. And that's what the master commends him for. He doesn't say what he did in the discounting was dishonest. So, who is really doing the discounting? Well, there's two other views. The other view is that they were charging exorbitant interest, which was forbidden by the law. So both the owner and the master overseeing the property 
are violating the law by charging their fellow Jewish brethren exorbitant interest. They were illegal to do that, and they had added charges far beyond what they should have done anyway. So maybe they're rectifying all this interest they've been charging. Let's just settle it up. Another view, a third view, is that the manager himself could get a fee that the owner says, I expect these kinds of uh, rent on my property. Everything you can make under the table or above that is yours. So that he could have been, with all of his fees and other costs that the renters never knew about, it was all one price to them, he could just say, "Let's, let's write it off. I'll give up either the interest or I'll give up my fees. Let's just call it even. I just want to be kind to you. And when the master finds out, he says, why, you shrewd-thinking manager, you. you That's a brilliant idea. Evil people can come up with brilliant plans on how to use money. How many of you invested all these tricks in the law? You get a good tax man. You get a wise guy, shelter this, do that. Most of us hope we could balance our checkbook or stay ahead of Visa. But here, coming up with schemes. So a guy could be dishonest here and still come up with a brilliant plan, could he not? Sure. And so Christ sets the story. And this is the most debated parable that scholars deal with because how can you commend somebody that's dishonest? That's the tension. You miss it totally. We never know what he was dishonest about. We do know the way he planned to protect his future. You know how he planned to protect his future? If I use resources today rightly and invest them in people, I can have the best future possible If I'm in need, if I'm out of work, what really counts is not hoarding wealth, but taking wealth to influence people for good. The goal is not how much I hoard, how much I hold on to, but can I dispense with resources and enrich others so that in the future I will meet the benefits of that investment in how I've helped people. Now, Jesus says, this is exactly what he's saying, and he takes the future to be far beyond this life. He extends it all the way to eternal dwellings. Now, let us see how Christ builds on the story he tells and how he applies it to us. Uh, Verse 8, the master commended the dishonest manager Because he had acted shrewdly, wisely. He had preserved himself in the right use of money. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. You see, the world knows that money can buy votes. Money can influence decisions. Money can buy perks. Money is the salve of business management in the world. And if you were in the ancient Near East, where bribes were a way of life, 
paying this. Even in other countries, if you're there now, it's not just what the fee is said to be. It's the fee plus you slip some money to the person. It's a way of operation. Money influences how life is run. A powerful, powerful tool. And he says, the unsaved are better at it than the children of light. We don't necessarily know how to use money to gain a good influence. It sounds like being a crook to us. But listen to what Christ tells you. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves. Since none of you believe that, let me read it again. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves. So that when it is gone, what is gone? The money. Will your money be gone? Did you know you're destined to become the property of a cemetery? But you better first pay for the ground. Or your kids are going to cuss you at the grave. Good night. They went out and cost us $15,000. Couldn't you die cheaply? You're destined to become property. But I want you to use it while you've got it because you might get a pink slip this week. Restructuring the company, you know, because you're probably 55 and you're costing them too much money. But use the money so that when it runs out, you will be welcomed into where? It's in the text. What does it say? Where's that? Your house? Where do you think that is? It's heaven, is it not? Your dwelling is not eternal. You're building it like it is, but it's not. One earthquake and it's over. When God burns up the universe, it will be over, no matter whether you paid it off or not. Eternal dwellings is there. What in the world is going If I said this, you'd call me a crooked preacher. You say, you're one of those TV evangelists, aren't you? You're trying to grease your pocket. You're trying to tell me to give money and everything, and, and it'll be better for me in heaven. Who, who is talking? I think he knows what the eternal perspective is. And he said something astounding to us. That you can use finances now to influence people who will literally be able to welcome you into eternal dwellings. Does it say that? I can't hear you. Good. It's still Easter, folks. You can shout a bit when it's the truth. Is that what he says? It's astounding, isn't it? Astounding. You can use present resources you have and invest them shrewdly, not in your 401k. You would do that without God. You don't need God to have a 401k. You need God to invest in the welfare of people for eternal good. For eternal good. That's what he's saying. It's an amazing thing. Ask yourself, when I get to heaven, will there be any welcoming committees for me? Oh, scholars say this talks about angels. Angels have nothing to do with this. Some say, well, it would be Jesus. Why, of course. For what you do for people and do for others. He said, you did it unto me. If you visit the folks in prison, you'd visit me. 
If you took care of the needy, you did it as unto me. Christ is uh, tied to his people for sure. So he'll be there, no question. But it seems to be those who benefited by your benevolence, people, will welcome you in eternal dwellings. Now, can you take that in? If I ask you who will be in heaven that you help get there and meet their needs, that when you get to that city, the Lord Jesus will head it up. And I don't know how long this is going to take. Maybe at the judgment seat of Christ. I want all those, all those who were benefited by this person's benevolence and gave their money to influence you. You may have never even met them before. You may have supported these 10 missionaries in China. You may have helped build the orphanage in Bangladesh. You may have sent money here. You never even saw the recipient. And all of a sudden, at the command of Christ, they stand up, get in your line, and they simply say, Thanks for not clinging to money, but investing it, and it affected me, and we will be friends for eternity. Do you understand that? Everything you keep for yourself is going to rot. Everything you keep for... We're just stupid about money. We worship it as a God. Would you rather have a million dollars or two eyes to see with? Why? I'd rather have eyes than to have a million dollars. I'd rather have a plain old Irish mother than $10 million. You say, well, no wonder you stayed broke. It doesn't matter. I'm not broke. I'm rich in things at last. I got memories. I never was abused. I never was. David abused me, but not my mother. She was good. He threw me off of buildings. That's why I'm still having surgeries. But those who loved me were very good to me. This is what you get to do when you pastor your family. You get even. Uh, they, they will welcome you into eternal dwellings. Let that sink in. I, I, when I first saw this, I just said, this can't be in the Bible. This, this is something seems so mercenary about it. No, no, no. This is shrewdness in the use of money. I will invest the resources God gives me that are going to ultimately, I'll be parted from them eventually at the grave by tax season. There's a lot of ways that money flies away. One bad sickness and you can lose it all. One bad sickness. One bad turn. Another depression. The big quake is supposed to hit by 2010. And I don't care if your house was paid for or not. It could be wasted just like in Katrina. And you could be starting all over in a day. All over. So why do we act like It is an eternal possession. It is not. It's a fleeting one. It takes wings. It flies. Every time you get ahead, one of your kids visit you. Uh, You know, every time you get ahead, your grandchildren. You you know, it flies. It goes. He says, as resources increase, so do those who consume them increase. And everybody says, I believe it. What we do with money today can influence lives in the future forever. And that brings us to the end of another broadcast of Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard from Valley Bible Church. 
here in Hercules. I'd like to leave you with our address, phone number, and web address in case you would like to contact us for whatever reason, whether it's a copy of today's program, a question concerning the broadcast, or your own relationship with Christ, or a prayer request. We would love to hear from you. And if you would like to partner with us financially to ensure that this broadcast remains on this radio station, again, we would be ever so grateful. No gift is too small, no gift too large. So here are the various ways you can reach out to us. The easiest, of course, by phone. That number is 855-833-9864. That's 855-833-9864. Or stop by our website, truthfortodayradio.org. And then, of course, as always, you can write to us. The address is 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue, Suite 278, Hercules, California, 94547. And then, men, mark it on your calendar, March 8th and 9th. It is our men's conference, Walking to Win. Keynote speakers are our own Pastor Phil Howard and Pastor Jessica Stand from Grace Bible Church in Hayward, also the host of the radio program, Way of Grace. Now, it is a Friday evening, Saturday day conference, and the price, $45 for ages 18 and older, 30 for youth, ages 12 to 17, will include dinner Friday evening and breakfast and lunch Saturday. If you have a desire to grow in grace, men, and find other men who are on the same walk and journey in Christ, we would invite you to join us. It should prove to be a rather fascinating, insightful, and very encouraging conference. Again, that's March 8th and 9th. Mark it on your calendar. Contact us and plan on joining us. The phone number, once again, is 855-833-9864. Or simply stop by our website, truthfortodayradio.org. And then come back and join us next time for another broadcast of Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. being commended for being a